Let's uh, ask the Lord to bless this time. Dear Lord, we're grateful. of how you've made us one and how you have made us um, eager to serve your kingdom, we'd ask that you would bring about those effects in this town through our and all the other saints' efforts in this town. Train us in your word, in your son's name. Amen. We're in Luke 10, and... the reason was I, I stumbled on it. I was, because I had driven home in the snow and then got to get up and prepare a sermon, not like there's any different. But no matter how I looked at the word, no matter which I turned the book sideways, I, things were not coming together in a sermon. I tried Acts, and I tried the Old Testament, and I tried some other things. Looked at Thessalonians. Nothing seemed to be jumping. And I'd been in a conversation at the wedding about the nature of uh, trying to listen to the Lord, trying to have the Spirit lead in terms of what you talk about. Andrew had shared that three times, and it may have happened to you, I know it's happened to Roy a few times, the very passage that he and Karen have been meditating on it, and he shows up and the sermon's on it. Andrew said it happened to him three times that he and Livy were studying something in the morning, and they come to church, and it's the passage being preached on. You sort of feel, yes, I am a magical being. Um, Invested with dark powers. I, I mentioned that in the wedding, that I was invested with dark powers. And the, one of the non-Christians there came up to me afterwards and said, uh, tell me more about these dark powers. <laughs> he said, already, man, they just don't... Any path out. Well... I was, I think, thumbing through Luke. Luke is my, I love Luke as a gospel. I said, well, man, eh, no, Luke. Luke's my favorite. So I went to go look at Luke, and there was the, um, uh, the bit about the Good Samaritan, which occurs in Luke, chapter 10. I said, oh, well, I better, better see if I can build, I mean, obviously you could build a sermon out of the Good Samaritan, right? I mean, you can't build that into a sermon, you're, you're out of business. But I was going to read the surrounding context, and then I realized, oh my gosh, Luke 10, yeah. Luke 10, but Leslie and I are almost ready to send to press a, a, a book on marriage that we've been working on. And the verse that is, you know, like under the title is out of Luke 10. Verse 1, after this the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to come. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and salute no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, 
peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace shall rest upon him. But if not, it shall return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you it would be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Tough words, Jesus being Jesus. But I really, the, the, didn't mean to leave you hanging, the verse that we have under the title of our marriage book is peace be to your house. We wanted to bring marriage, conversation, talk, scripture, as like the teaching of the 70s sent out, representing the apostles, representing the Christ. You're offering peace to people, and if they're a son of peace, the peace sticks. You'll be offering peace all the time. Maybe you witnessed and non-believing friends of yours who were just not interested. Thank you very much. Just not going there. Not seeking God. And when I see him, when I put down the phrase son of peace, then I thought of sons of anarchy. That's just what you've got, basically. Everybody wants to be a son of anarchy. And what happens in anarchy? It's not under the rule of anybody who's going to bring peace. It's under your rule, doing what you want. I know it's pretty tough. Now, you know everybody does. You know, because I, back in the day when I used to ride in California on motorcycles, and I had friends at the custom motorcycle shop that would sell me parts that I needed, and, and they would always mock me because I, I would wash my clothes. I was not, you might say, foul enough to be a serious biker. And even they, though they did not wash their clothes because they were not happening to be dealing in drugs or prostitution, they also were not bad enough to be bikers. Because outlaw bikers are, they're not the dentist who bought a bike when he had enough money. The bikers, the sons of anarchy sort of bikers, the banditos, who used to be around? The banditos used to be around here. Um, but this is the problem, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody wants to be that. Because if the dentist doesn't buy the Harley Davidson and the leather chaps for himself and his wife so they can ride the Sturgis and be bad for a weekend. It's the tattoos, you know. I don't have any tattoos. I should have got one in the Navy. But do you notice how a lot of people who are not bad enough for tattoos have them? You know, just... It's, it's, 
I don't have any objection to tattoos. The graphics have to be good. You have to be ready to live with it the rest of your life. It's like a marriage proposal. You have to be, I am going to marry this woman or this tattoo um, for a long time. We have to watch out that our desire to be like the sons of anarchy. So some guy who's a fraternity brother raised in a good Mormon home goes off and gets a Maori war tattoo across his bicep which is, is a little flabby because well he's a Mormon kid from southern Idaho and he wants to suddenly create that so that when somebody says hey chaos to your house he goes yes that's what I want we're not to be like that by the way the tattoos are fine have it be real represent something real like feel free to get a big house logo <laughs> I will, I will, even with my signature for authenticity under it. We're supposed to be sons of peace. What the 70 were looking for was a place where the declaration of the peace of God would, would stick. Now, I'm not here. I'm not, a, I'm not a prophet. I don't know what it means by it shall return to you. I don't know the tensile strength or the stick stickiness of peace but it has to do with the kingdom the things taught and the reception we bring you peace are you the kind of person that hears peace now first thing I'd like you to ask yourself is are you a son of peace one and do you bring peace two that when you say peace to this house, you've got what is the kingdom. So this whole idea of receiving, not receiving. If you're not on the receiving, not receiving end, that's one thing. But we can always, we can always be on the delivery end of peace. <laughs> we know that we stand in our communities at our jobs, wherever we are, as the kingdom of God coming near these people. That whatever they do, the kingdom of God has come near. It, uh, in Romans 10, when it talks about the, uh, the word going out, the unbelief of the Jews, faith comes from what is heard, what is heard comes by the preaching of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out through all the earth. We know that the kingdom, God, and his presence on the planet, they're without excuse. It is clear what he has brought. And at every stage, your degree of being a son of his knowledge, a son of his kingdom, makes you hear his kingdom. Whether you receive him or they do not receive him, either way, the kingdom stands close. The kingdom has come near to you. Now, I made some paragraphs small type so that all of the passages could get on. I really I don't like pulling out passages here. Therefore, there's a warning to Teresa and Bethsaida for their behavior in this. Verse 16, it says, He who hears you hears me. And he who rejects you 
rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Nice equation. It is not a, an actual a banner to fly over you. It should be a banner to fly over you. It was for the 70. They had been taught by the Christ. If they listen to these guys, they're listening to the Christ. If they reject these guys, they're rejecting the Christ. And since God had sent the Christ, they reject God. This is a very big deal in people receiving. And when I was corresponding with a, a Christian friend uh, last week about realizing that the world does not want Jesus Christ, and we act evangelistically or apologetically like there's always a path. We, we like uh, who's the guy in Dumb and Dumber? So you mean there's hope? There's a chance? And we're looking for some sort of book, some sort of apology, some sort of message. If they're not sons of peace, if they don't receive you, they will stand the judgment. They get what, what they decided they wanted. The harvest is not everybody, but the harvest is ripe. We're looking for the people who are the sons of peace. The homes that will receive you and listen to what you say. But for us, standing outside this mix, we're not part of the 70, we're not the Christ. For us to share in verse 16, we have to be sure that what we say is what they'd hear from Christ. If you want that applied to you, you don't get to have it applied to you just out of magic. That, well, he's a pastor, he has a clerical collar, he has you know, a reverend in front of his name or something like that. That doesn't make you the oracle of God. You've got to be sure. If you want to function in this world where the peace you offer, the kingdom you introduce people to, you've got to, you've got to go back and make sure that you are saying the things of Christ. You've got to make sure that you have the training like the, the 70 did with Christ guiding you. Have you been into, we were talking in the wedding yesterday about uh, using the book of Colossians, where you seek the things that are above where Christ is and telling uh, Olivia that, that her view of Jesus Christ is going to make her the best wife. She has the best view of Christ. She's going to know what her Lord expects of her. If you want this to play, you want to be walking through this world with the kingdom of God bumping into people when they bump into you. And you want them to decide whether or not they want to hear what you have to say about Jesus Christ, but you want to be ready to say it. You want to be out there saying it. You want to be making sure that you're not misrepresenting God. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection, that if we preach a resurrection that isn't true, we're found to be misrepresenting God. That's a pretty big deal. Maybe Americans don't notice it because blasphemy is our middle name. But we're actually stepping into a world where it is not merely my opinion. Now, I have some great opinions, and I'll share them with you someday. I have great opinions, and I don't often teach on them because, well, they're still my opinions. I don't have sufficient 
chops or argument or whatever to prove that it is the opinion of God. It's, I su suspect it is, but that's, that's not good enough. Better to tell you what he does say. We want, we want very desperately for the announcement of this piece to be coming from the designer of the creation. He built the world, I mentioned this last few weeks, he built the good creation, called it good. It was the way he wanted it to be. He has a way he wants it to be. We've walked away from that. This whole message of the kingdom is to step ourselves, bring ourselves back under the rule of Christ. Our God then being the governor of our broken world. That would bring the peace. It says in verse 21, In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. It's, some people wonder why I always say, dear Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Uh, phrases like that in the Bible. The Lord of heaven and earth. That thou hast hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to babes. Yea, Father, for such was thy gracious will. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. These sorts of messages, Tristan's passage he read this morning, very similar. The wisdom of God is not like the wisdom of this world. And the very fact that we are maybe nobody, here we are in a small church, small congregation in a backwater town on the edge of civilization, and we're not that important. But we could be standing closer to the kingdom, just each one of us individually. How close you stand to Christ, how close. Remember, it's all a matter of who the Son chooses to reveal himself. Now. If you're of a reform variety, you could think of that as election. I am not a reformed person, so I think of it as selection. But God is, through Christ, God is doing the thing. You are, you are the vessel that stands forward. Like, initially, when you were the son of peace, that's how you stepped into his, hey, peace be to you. And you said, okay. And then you were trained and revealed the son of God. God revealed the son of God to you. And they selected you, or elected you, or however you want to think of it. But the point is, we're walking through this world without, you might say, all the measures of power that this world would, you know, credit us with. Too often the church wants to become the same sort of institution that the world is, so that our announcements of position are valued in the society. Give the trophies out, give the degrees out. Nothing morally wrong with that, but let the Lord give it out. Has Christ revealed it to you? What's it going to be in you that shows that Christ has chosen to reveal it to you? What is it in you that means that people go, I suspect that he will, she will know. Someone in the congregation of believers or a non-Christian has a problem, 
do they think of you? Because they ought to. Because really when people are desperate for peace, thinking of the person who has it, thinking of the person who walks in it, thinking of the person who seems to speak with Christ's words. The small type there that I made, verse 23. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. We're part of something. We're part of something that's sort of an irresistible plan for the history of the world that the Almighty is doing. And you're either an agent of his peace, an agent selected, elected by his will to bring about his son's kingdom on this earth, where you are the gunslinger that comes to town and suggests that you want to give peace to somebody and they're going to say yes or no then God will judge the situation. We're going through life adding this value. And he doesn't just say, you disciples, blessed are the eyes which see what you see. This is Beyond, it's, at least it strikes me, as beyond the apostles seeing it. That means our eyes. If we see these things preached, if we see these things as true, we become this great blessing. Now, you could start to go, yeah, I, I, I see that, I see that. I, I've got a real urge for God. I think St. Paul had a real urge for God. That wasn't working really well for the people he arrested. But we all have things that get in the way. The worst, you know, for us, religious types, because we're already at church, when the kingdom of God is announced by the Christ, when the kingdom of God is taught by the apostles, you need to pick it all up because there's going to be some stuff that you do not agree with or the church you are currently in, say All Souls Christian, has allowed you or encouraged you in some error to follow along after the traditions of the church, not the teaching of the Christ. And because the basic war that goes on, as you know it, is the kingdom of heaven is at war with every other kingdom of self and institution. And sometimes the institution will be in co-belligerency with the Christ. They say, okay, we'll be on your side. We'll call ourselves All Souls Christian Church. And uh, we will have Jesus in, oh, we'll let him have 50, 55% of it. But the rest of it's going to be the way we think it ought to be. Or it's ourselves, not an institution, just ourselves. Because what happens, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. He's not a lawyer like Davis is a lawyer. More like a kind of the over theologian. 
This is a religious lawyer, not so much a civil lawyer. He's putting Jesus to the test because when the kingdom of God comes to town, even somebody who's a son of peace receiving it, there starts to be a back chat against, hold it, who do you, what do you think you're saying? What do you think, do you think you can overturn this? You know, sometimes Jesus, they attempted to kill Jesus after he said a few things, even though they had believed in him earlier. Now, the judgment that falls back on these people, this is where the parable of the, uh, the Good Samaritan happens. We first asked him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you, how do you read? And he answered, you shall love the Lord, this is the, the law you're talking, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now this lawyer was a son of peace. I'm, I'm willing to give him that. Because he doesn't say, well, give all your tithes, obey the Ten Commandments. He doesn't say, follow Moses in every particular. He pulls out the two commandments that Jesus, in his teaching, had pulled out. From, they're from different sources, and they're not part of the Ten Commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your strength, soul, and body, etc. It's from a different portion. This lawyer gets the greatest commandment. When Christ was asked, what's the greatest commandment? This is the answer he gives. But the lawyer was testing him, first testing him. Maybe because he was a son of peace. Jesus answers, verse 28, you've answered right. Do this and you will live. I know a lot of dear Christians who believe this and many other things that are taught by the kingdom and they don't do them. They sort of have a separate unspoken theology that it's really not possible to do them, really all of them, some of them, but not all of them. Righteousness, holiness is not part of the deal. Christ doesn't seem to say that. He says, here are the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. Do this, you will live. Then it says, but he, desiring to justify himself. At some point, the kingdom of God, wading into your life, wading into the person you're talking to's life, you're saying, peace to this house, and so it begins. And they say, yes, I'm a son of peace, welcome. But eventually, you will step on their toes. Eventually, the kingdom of God even suggesting that the things you believe, you ought to live. The guy said, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you, you're right. You're right. Do it. And the guy goes, hold it now. Are you trying to suggest that people can be holy? Hold it. You just said, how do I inherit eternal life? You gave that answer. I agreed with you and said, 
It's not believing that you should love the Lord your God with all your strength. It's not believing you should not love your neighbor as yourself. It is loving your God and loving your neighbor. Ah, there's the rub. Our sonship in the kingdom is really about believing, oh, faith is so important. We're fideists about those things. We have the list of things we believe, propositional claims of the Christian myth. And it's, a, uh, it's something we, we just don't really want to raise the question of doing what you're told, doing what you believe. Desire to justify himself, he says, well, who is my neighbor? Oh, you've been in those theological arguments. Well, what do you, I mean, how could you? And people coming up with every evasion except, you know, you're right. I need to do this. I need to be this. Well, it's always, what if, but what if the Nazis said you had to, he says, shut up. Do what you're told. The problem is, even a son of peace, even a person with the great and right answer, and Jesus commends him for it, gets to the point where he is trying to justify following himself and the way he's got it worked out. Tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're not here to cover the great virtues in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's about who is my neighbor. But at the end, which of these, verse 36, do you think proved neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And you know it's a good Samaritan. Jews hate Samaritans. He's waging the kingdom of God against the kingdom of man and each individual self. I think I've mentioned before that I've got a lot of contact with Armenians in Los Angeles because my sister is married to one and you're involved in that community and one of the hardest things is being forgiving to the Turks because of the genocide. That's an understandable little problem. They want to keep that. They want to keep the bitterness. They want to keep the cause. People who want to keep the hatred of the Samaritan, they were pagans, the Samaritans, shipped in by S.R. Hayden the end of the Assyrian period when they had taken the Jews out of the northern kingdom the Samaritans were brought in from uh, Persian Gulf area and planted there and the rest is history and he said the one who showed mercy on him because he probably wasn't willing to even say the word Samaritan then Jesus said to him go do likewise. The kingdom of God continues to put forward the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, you're going to find at what stage you start to throw over your role as the son of peace. The son of being governed. You know my view about peace. You are peaceful to the degree you are governed. Order is established and you have the kind of peace that the order provided you. If you want the kingdom of God, it will be the peace of God. But you have to obey what Christ says. You have to listen to his apostles. Because if you listen to his apostles, you listen to him. You listen to him, you listen to him who sent him. This is the kingdom of God. 
If you choose to follow your own kingdom, you get the peace that you can arrange. We'll visit in a few years. You can tell me, how's it going? Well, you know, I didn't agree with anything the apostle said about family, and I applied it, and my life is hell. Because that's what it's going to be. Whether it's kids out of control, whether it's marriages on the rocks, whether it's finding yourself caught up in all sorts of business shenanigans because of the way you decided you were going to do something. You only get peace through your own gruel if you have the power of that government. And you don't. And the reason you, and you don't because you're just a finite piece of work and you've got to actually abuse other people to get power over them. You've got to trick them, manipulate them, whatever it is. You've got to somehow get power, even just violence. Punch them in the face because they didn't do what you wanted. God functions the same way. He's going to punch you in the face. It's going to be worse for those cities that reject the apostles than it was for Sodom, and Sodom didn't fare well. God's going to judge. So we've got to make a decision whether or not the peace of your house is because you're, you know you're, you're, you're valuing the things of God, you know that these good things are coming to you in your own Bible reading and the books you pick up and the conversations you're in and the fellowship of the saints. You know that they're there. Um, you just gotta, you just not get to that point where desiring to justify the way you do it, you object, well, who really, how can we really tell who's my neighbor? How can we really tell? You know, what really is love after all? Got some questions? Check your heart. Because there's a big war going on between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of whoever you are. We need to be ready to become sons of peace at the sequential moments. Every time the new peace comes through the door and says, Am I, can I bring peace to you? You go, no, I like being a Baptist. Or, no, I like being an Episcopalian. Whatever it is you think you want to be like. We'll do religion this way. We'll pick it up that way. Or you'll pick up your own life a certain way where you grant your temperament and you know where you've been disobedient. A certain freedom to still rule like a Persian satrap who has control over the province and rarely has to report in to the king. You think of that? Well, you've got control over the province. You're essentially king. And God has given you charge over stuff. And how is the province running? Let's do it the Lord's way. Let's follow his kingdom. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord God, we're grateful. For your rule, we'd ask that we would hear it, follow it, speak it. Enjoy the benefits of it. Show it to the world. I thank you for this Lord's Supper, in your Son's name, amen.